which once again comes to us from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, and now verses 5 through 9. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Thank you. You may be seated. pray. Father, we come to your word, and as your people, we ask for your help. We ask for your spirit to do in and through us what we cannot do for or by ourselves. And we believe this morning, God, that with God all things are possible. So would you show us your glory? Would you help us to see Jesus? Let me ask it in His name. Amen. I don't even know how to preface what we're going to say today. Um, man. This book that we are surveying and uh, working through, the book of Hebrews, is kind of a... I don't even, I don't know, there's probably a name for this. I don't, I don't, I'm sure there is. It's like, anybody watch Doctor Who? Anybody that much of a geek? Oh my gosh. So the TARDIS, it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, right? So you see a phone booth type thing floating through the air and through time. I don't know how that works. And inside it's like this big glass room. And it's like, the further we get into these passages, it's like the more this book just opens up and opens up and opens up and opens up. And, um, and this is not an aw shucks, uh, false humility thing. There is no way I can do justice to this. But we trust the Spirit of God to honor His Word and show us wondrous things from that Word. And today I... I'm just I'm I'm just floored at this passage. Um, I, I hope I hope that by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, I can convey what's going on here because it is glorious. Um, let's see. What, this keeps doing this. I don't know what it's doing. So we'll start in verse five, obviously. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. So the first word, as is so often the case in a passage that we start, is is for. And that needs some attention, for sure. Um, We looked last week um, at verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2. And we worked through that where the writer of Hebrews had called on his readers, and that includes us, 
to pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Speaking of the apostolic message, the words of Christ, the teachings from the prophets of old, we've got to pay much closer attention to that that we have heard. And that message, he says, uh, that angels had brought, speaking of the law, the intermediaries between God and man, bringing the law to man, even as God spoke there on Mount Sinai, he said that message had proven to be reliable. And now, since we have something greater, the salvation that was provided by the word of Jesus, Jesus who was the word, we should pay much closer attention than was even paid to the message that the angels brought through the law. The message um, of and about Jesus was proclaimed first by the prophets beforehand, then was proclaimed through Christ himself, and then by his apostles who were shown to be Jesus' genuine messengers through signs and wonders and gifts given by the Holy Spirit himself. And the main point of last week's message was the writer's urgent question in verse 3, which was, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who are that goes on about talking about the signs and miracles. So this called attention to the betterness of Jesus, to the betterness of his message, and the salvation he purchased for his people. And, and that called us and made clear for us um, that if this salvation was neglected, then the tragic consequences in verse 1, which was drifting away from what we have heard, those consequences are inevitable if we don't pay much closer attention to what we've heard. So, now in today's passage, our 4 starts what is an emphasis once again on the greatness of Jesus over and above angels. And there'll be more of that thought in the next passage, so just settle in here. We're going to talk about angels for a little while and how Jesus is better than them. But today... There's actually, <laughs> just kind of like, I don't even know what to call it. It's, it's like this pleasant, wonderful, beautiful surprise that just pops up in the middle of all this. And it's incredible. And I hope you're ready for it. I hope I'm ready for it. Um, so again, we're talking about the betterness, the greatness, the far superiority of Jesus above angels. Uh, last week this weekend in the next passage. So, so there must have been a pervasive thought and or teaching that Jesus was an angel amongst these Jewish Christians for the writer to pound this message so loudly. And again, I know that really doesn't resonate with us much. I mean, that's not really, I don't think, a, a problem that we struggle with thinking that Jesus was just an angel. Again, we struggle with even believing that there are angels. Uh, much less that Jesus was one of them. But that must have been something that was pervasive among these Jewish Christians. And so the writer is really pounding this. Okay, And you may be like, well, can we just get through this because it's not an issue with us. But we definitely, in our day and time, have a lot of junk that goes around that says Jesus was not God. That Jesus was less than God. That Jesus was a good moral teacher and such. So you can fill in the blank as we work through this angel stuff with those heresies as well. Jesus is far superior to angels. Jesus is far superior to Buddha. Jesus is far superior to Muhammad and Joseph Smith and LeBron James. 
and me and everyone and everything else. So then, verse 5 here circles back um, to this thought pattern about Jesus being greater than angels. Okay? So as we circle back to that, the writer says, since we have to pay closer attention to the truth about Jesus so that we don't drift thinking He was just an angel, we have to remember, for that it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Now what's going on here? Now you listen, you're going to have to really engage this because this thought pattern today is not complicated, but it's important you understand the thought pattern. Okay? So... Let's parse it out a little bit. Jesus is greater than angels. You're like, you've said that six times already. Right, okay? Jesus was not just a messenger of God. But He was the Son of God Himself. And we're not talking like a son of a God like Hercules or something like that. We're talking about God in the flesh. The second person of the Trinity. Okay, got that. And we had seen in chapter 1 that Jesus, who is the radiance of the glory of God had been given the name above all names, and that Jesus had taken His seat after accomplishing our redemption at the right hand of the majesty on high, God having said to Him in the reference from Psalms that we looked at last week, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So, the world to come is subjected to whom then? It's to Jesus. Not to any angel, not to Michael the archangel, not to Gabriel... No angel has been given subjection of the world to come. None of them. And the word subjected here is a word that we have referenced many, many times in different places and passages in the New Testament. It's the Greek word hupotasso. And it's a military term. And it means to arrange in a military fashion under the command of a leader. So what that means is... In saying that Jesus, that the world is the world to come is subjected to Jesus, it means Jesus is the leader that the whole world will be subjected to in the world that comes. Angels will not rule in the world to come. Jesus will. So that makes him better than angels. So again, Jesus is greater, better, of a higher standing, of a higher rank than angels. And that's pretty clear here and in what we've seen previously. But now watch this. Verses 6 to 8, which will be our main focus in today's passage. And what an amazing focus it is. Watch this. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, it's been testified somewhere is how this starts. That somewhere is a quote from Psalm 8, 4-6. I appreciate Luke reading that this morning in the public reading. Because it, and that's your homework, by the way. Your homework this week is to read Psalm 8 at least once a day. And I think it would be really good if you read it as a family together at some point. Once a day. And if you want to discuss it, if you want to talk about it after that, so be it. I don't care what you do with it, just read it once a day. Individually, as a family, whatever you want to do. Because it is so incredible. Okay, so I read Psalm 8 a couple weeks ago in an application point. Um, And I said we don't have time to look at the details from it, but guess what? Today we do. Not the whole psalm, which is only nine verses, but we will deep dive into these three verses from 
from where the writer of Hebrews quotes here. Let's read it again. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, from the start here, what or who is the subject of this passage quoted? What is man? What is man? The psalmist asks. And his question to God is, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Now what a question. Have you ever just wondered why God pays any attention to us at all? Because I really think dolphins are cooler than people. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I'm like check out the dolphins. <laughs> They're freaking awesome. Um, why man? In the psalm, The writer is pondering the greatness of God and looking at the heavens and is just marveling at what he's seeing and he's wondering, God, what is man that you're mindful of him? In all your greatness, in the vast expanse of the seen and unseen universe, why do you pay attention to these tiny bipeds on this tiny speck of dust floating through the cosmos? brings us to the question, which is very important to our study today, what is the role of man in the plan of God? And that's a doozy. I think we're prone to two extremes when we answer that question on our own. First, the first extreme is that we're just tiny bipeds on this tiny speck of dust floating to the universe and must have no significance in God's plan. The nihilist would say, nothing matters. And that includes me. I don't matter. Nothing matters. Nihilists, nihilists, shmihilists. So that's one extreme. Or or the other extreme is that we overemphasize ourselves and then we end up exalting ourselves over God and think that we're the center and the purpose of everything. Well, neither of those is true. But what is true is pretty doggone exciting. So what is the role of man in the plan of God? And get used to those two words, man and plan, because that's two of our application points today, by the way. So let's start exploring this question of the place of man in the plan of God with a short series of questions from Job. This really struck me when we went through our Job study, um, whenever that was. Um, This is Job in the midst of his suffering. What is man, he says to God, that you make so much of him? And that you set your heart on him. You're like, oh, that's really sweet. Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long, God, will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Ooh, yeesh. Job's struggling, right? So keep in mind who Job is and what he's going through. Job was in a bad way, to say the least. He was suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And his questions here are, God, why do you make so much of man? Why do you set your heart on him? Why do you visit him? Why do you test him and such? Will you not, God, just look away for a second and leave me alone at least long enough for me to swallow my spit? And the implied answer is no. 
God will not look away from man long enough for him to swallow his spit. And so Job's question, in contrast to the psalmist, is why? So the psalmist says, oh, what is man that you're mindful of him? And Job's like, why do you even care? And the two together, the psalmist in wonder, David the psalmist in wonder, and Job in desperation, cannot fathom why God has anything to do with man, much less all that God does have to do with man. And I think we would do good to explore this question on a regular basis. Especially when we see the conclusion that I hope we come to today. So back to that Hebrew Psalms passage. It has been testified somewhere, the writer of Hebrews says, What is man that you're mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Now, follow the logic through all three verses. Three verses. The initial question is, why is God mindful of man, and why does he care for man at all? So we've covered that. Now, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. Now, we're going to dig in here, okay? We're going to get didactic here. We saw two weeks ago that angels are messengers that God uses to minister between Himself and men. What was it that Jacob saw going up and down the ladder in his vision? Right, His angels. Ascending and descending. So there's all this commerce, all this communication between God and man and it's happening through angels. Okay? So we were alright with that. They're messengers. Right? Okay, that's fine. But here, the psalmist, David, and thus the writer of Hebrews says that man is for a little while lower than the angels. So what's that mean? What does it mean that at this present time that man has been made for a little while lower than the angels? Well, the word for to make lower infers that the one made lower is lower in status or rank. So, both angels and human beings are created beings, created by God, made by God for God's purposes. Well, according to David and the writer of Hebrews, in the world we live in, in the present time, and in the current status of things, humans are lower in status than angels. But they're messengers, servants to us, right? There they are. If you look at Ephesians 6.12, it's an it's a, a often quoted passage, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against man but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So what's he saying we're wrestling against? It's demons, right? Fallen angels. And these demons that we wrestle with are called rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If you go back to Ephesians 2.2, 2, we see this, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Now, who's he referring to there? Satan. Satan. Okay? So Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. So demons are rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces... Prince? Satan's a prince. That's a pretty high ranking, right? 
And it's not just demons that are referred to in these ways. In Daniel 12, when Daniel's receiving words about the coming events, we read this. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now that's Daniel receiving a message from an angel. And Michael, who was called an archangel in other places, is said to be a great prince who has charge of Daniel's people, which is the Jews. Daniel's people is the Jews, are the Jews. How are you going to say that? So that's a big statement too, right? I mean, these angels are shown to have authority, status, standing over and above humans in the current economy of God. But again, didn't we say they're just messengers and servants? Yes. But we see in our quoted psalm, Psalm 8, that we are, men are, for a little while, lower than the angels. So therefore, for a little while, the angels are in an elevated status over man. But why? Well, something happened way back when. When we go back to creation, to the creation narrative in Genesis, we see that God created man in a very particular way and for a very particular reason. Now watch this, Genesis 1, 26-28. We talk, we've talked about this in the guys' class on Wednesday evening. But this is so important. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them, man, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in His own image. Can we emphasize that any more than it's emphasized? Oh, my star won't. There we go. In the image of God, God created man. Male and female, He created them. Again, that is monstrous in implications. And God blessed them. So they're made in God's image. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, ruling authority, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And again, there's so much here, but let's try to stick to what's pertinent to our discussion from Hebrews. At creation, God made one creature. One creature! Actually, yeah, one class of creatures. Two people, one creature, one man, male and female. He made one thing in His image. And that was man. Not antelopes, not aardvarks, not zebras. I went from A to Z there. You didn't see what I did. Only man was said to bear what we call the Imago Dei, the image of God. And again, we've talked about this as foundational in our Wednesday nights with the guys. God made man for the purpose of imaging God forth in His creation. In all of God's creation, which we see in Genesis 1, all of creation testifies that there is a God and says, wow, look at God, He's, he's glorious. But only man was chosen to image forth God. He also blessed man and called on man to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and note this, to have dominion over every living thing on the earth. So out of everything that lives, man is to rule over, to have dominion. 
Man was given the right and the authority to rule the earth. Made in the image of God and given the place of authority to exercise dominion over all that was created in the world. That is what God created man for. So what happened? We all know, right? A fallen angel named Satan who had rebelled against God and wanted God's glory for himself, I will make myself like the Most High. He comes down in the form of a serpent. He lies to Eve. Did God really say, oh, God's lying to you. Eve says, okay. She takes the fruit, gives it to her husband there with her who said and did nothing through this except say, I'll eat it too. So this fallen angel named Satan does what he does and Adam and Eve sin by doing what God had told them not to do. So with the entrance of sin then, what do we say happened to man? He fell. Does that mean he scraped his knee? Does that mean he needed one of those life things? I fall and I can't get up. <laughs> it's not the kind of fall that we're talking about, right? Man fell from his place of prominence. And he ceded, C-E-D-E-D, his privilege to an angel. Sin put man under angels in this current economy, in God's plan. And as the psalm and the passage in Hebrew says, man has been made for a little while lower than the angels. It does not say that, God, that, that man was created lower than the angels. It says he was made, something happened that caused him to be lower than the angels for a little while. But don't miss that little clause for a little while. God's original plan was for... Let me strike that word original from the record. God's plan was for man to reign and rule, to exercise dominion. Well, let me ask you this question. Do any of God's plans fail? That's a definitive no. So if man was created in the image of God and was given the role of dominion and authority on the earth, what do you think is going to happen when all is said and done? Yeah, what God said was going to happen. What He created man for, which was to reign and rule on the earth. Now let's go back to the Hebrews passage, which is the remainder of the psalm quote and then some non-psalm, non-psalm in verse 8. You made Him, man, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned Him, man, with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under His, man's feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, man, he left nothing outside man's control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to man. Oh. So from this, yes, for a little while, man is lower than the angels, but he's also said to have been crowned with glory and honor by God. And don't miss that, it's huge, it's pretty doggone big. God has crowned man with glory and honor. Listen, the fall did not take that away. And then, David says in the psalm, putting everything in subjection under his feet. 
Now, if we took that phrase out of context and just quoted it, we would say that's talking about who? Jesus. Jesus. But it ain't! It ain't. That's about Jesus, right? No, it's about man. Created in the image of God, given dominion, fallen, subjugated to angels, and waiting to see all of this come to its final fruition. You have made Him. You have made man, God. God, You have made man for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned man with glory and honor. God, You have put everything in subjection under man's feet. Listen. That is man's story. That is man's place in the plan of God. Whoa. Now do you know that? Are you aware of that? Man, male and female, created in the image of God given dominion to reign and to rule, crowned with glory and honor, with everything in subjection under His feet. Do you know that? Because it's true. And so is the rest of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to man, God left nothing outside of man's control. At present... We do not yet see everything in subjection to man. So that really needs to be taken in its entirety. The psalmist had said that God had put everything in subjection under man's feet. Well, the writer of Hebrews elucidates on that some and says that in so doing, God has left nothing outside of man's control. But there's a problem. And the writer addresses that. At present, he says, we do not see Everything in subjection to man. Everything in subjection to man, nothing left outside of his control. But we don't see that currently, do we? The world's a crazy and wild place, isn't it? Nature doesn't play by our rules, does it? There are rulers and principalities who we wrestle against, aren't there? Heck, we can't even get along with each other. Can we? At present... We certainly do not see everything in subjection to man. But here's the thing. It's for a little while. There will come a time when man is no longer a little lower than the angels. There will come a time that is different than this present time where we don't see everything in subjection to man. There will come a time when God's plan comes to finality and fruition and the whole universe sees it in all of its completed glory. And what is that plan? That man made in the image of God has that full, clear image restored and sees the earth subdued and has the dominion that was originally given to him. It will happen. It will. And how can we know that? Because we've seen the first step of that process of restoring the glory, the full glory of man. We've already seen the first step completed. And what am I referencing? Well, it's Hebrews. So if if we're talking about Hebrews, what are we going to come back to then? We're going to come back to Jesus being better. Hebrews 2, 9. But. Oh, ho, ho. 
But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus. By the way, it's the first mention of the name Jesus in Hebrews. Namely, Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. What a verse. Oh man, this is holy ground. All the Scripture is, sometimes you see it a little more than you do in other places. We don't see man as he is to be. We don't see all things in subjection to him, but we see him. And I think it's right to put that together with verses 8 and 9, putting everything in subjection under his feet, man's feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to man, God left nothing outside man's control. At present we do not yet see everything in subjection to man, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Goodness gracious, what a verse. And what a grand truth being shown to us here. Man is not yet in the place where everything has been put in subjection under His feet, but we see Him. Him who is seated at the right hand of the Father. Him who has been given all dominion and authority. We see Him. We see Him now. The writer of Hebrews has shown us that already in that glorious first three verses. He's been given the name above every name. God has spoken His final word through the final better word through Jesus. Okay, so what does that mean for what we saw in the previous verses about man and him, man, being a little lower than the angels, but also having been crowned with glory and honor, yet with not everything being seen as under His feet? What's this got to do with it? What has Jesus got to do with all that? And in the best Yoda voice I can conjure, everything... Got, Jesus has got everything to do with the final destiny of man. Adam fell and lost his place of dominion for a little while. Here we are 6,000 years later. How is man to get that place back and thus fulfill the place that God designed him to be in? Well, it turns out, shockingly, that God had a plan. For when it would appear that His plan was being subverted. That plan was to do what had to be done in order for man to be restored to his place of glory and honor and dominion and authority. And as it turns out, God's plan, now get this, was to become a man and do the whole man thing. But instead of falling like Adam did, God became a man and did the whole thing perfectly. So Jesus comes, the second and better Adam, and as God in the flesh, as a man, truly God and truly man, Jesus keeps and fulfills the law of God perfectly and then raises the scepter and says, I have the power! I did it! Yo! Adrian! No, yo! Everybody, look at me! 
Bow down and worship me because I did it. I finished it all. That's what he did, right? He did it. And then he died. Say what? That's kind of anticlimactic. Imagine you watch a movie of Jesus, you know nothing of Jesus, and you watch a movie of his life, and he's doing all these great things. You're like, dude, this guy's awesome. And then they kill him. You're like, what? What? There's one of those memes that says, man, I was reading the Bible, and my favorite character got killed. And somebody said, oh, don't worry about it. And he's like, what? And he comes back later. He's like, he came back to life. But it seems backwards and messed up that, that, that he accomplishes everything, he keeps the law of God perfectly, and then he, he, he dies. But this man does not stay dead. What a statement. He's brought back to life as a sign of God's approval of his sacrificial death on behalf of his people. That death which was accomplished in order to pay the penalty for the, his people's sins against his own holiness. That's the old, old story, right? And it's true. And here in Hebrews, the writer draws our attention to the main player in that story. We don't see man in the place he's supposed to be in for a little while, but we see Jesus. But we see Him. Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. He became a man. Truly man. Even to the point of taking the body of one whose likeness is lower than the angels. Now make no mistake, he is the king of all angels. He said, I could call forth legions of angels. Demons obeyed him. They knew who he was. But he was in the form of a man. A man who for a little while was lower than the angels. And we have seen that man. We've seen that man. Not that man. We have seen that man is crowned with glory and honor due to God's design of creation. But look at Jesus here. It is said that He is crowned with glory and honor. How and why? Because of the suffering of death. Did Luke leave? I need to jump on him for taking my whole message this morning. We didn't communicate about that. Maybe we should have. No, it was good. It's great what he said. What's all this about? I would think that the glory and honor are because He was God. Immortal and eternal, right? But that's not what the focus is here. He's crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And again, we didn't correlate this and communicate it, but I'm going to read part of what Luke read. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That would be incredible enough. Being born in the likeness of men, that would be amazing enough. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by, bec by becoming obedient. Again, that would be enough. But obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Man saw God in the flesh and said, oh, we're going to humble him. Now, they didn't believe He was God in the flesh. But the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places were 
turning gears and shifting things and doing things and saying we are going to humiliate God in the flesh. Do you know how much Satan hates the image of God in man? What was Satan after? I will exalt myself above the Most High. I will have His glory. God said, no you won't. But these tiny bipeds floating on this tiny speck of dust in the universe, they're going to bear my glory. They're going to have what you desired. And then God Himself comes down and is a tiny biped floating on this speck of dust in the universe. And He images forth God perfectly. And Satan says, I hate that. Strip Him. Beat Him. Spit on Him. Pluck out His beard. Hang Him on a cross. Put a spear in His side. I hate Him! And because of that, He humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God was so disappointed because His plan had failed. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that this crucified Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. (laughs) The glory of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, was shown perfectly as he subjected himself to humiliation to the point of death on a cross. And then Paul says here in Philippians, therefore, God has highly exalted him. It was the obedience of Jesus to march to his death willingly and obediently that was his crowning achievement. Plot twist. Instead of Adam and Eve who would exalt themselves and say, we'll be like God. We'll be smart like Him. We'll know good from evil. We'll be God. Instead, God says, I'll be like a man. And I'll show them what glory is all about. And He did not come and stand atop the Mount of Olives and boom out, everyone worship me. Instead, he quietly carries his own cross to Golgotha and prays for the forgiveness of those who crucified him. That's glory. That's the kingdom. Upside down in our eyes, but right side up in the economy of God. To the point of death. Since he was obedient to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him. But that's not all. The writer of Hebrews finishes his thought with this, so that by the grace of God, he, Jesus, might taste death for everyone. Jesus did what he did in order to be our stand-in. He lived a perfect life that we would be given his perfect righteousness as a free gift. He died so that we would never die, he says in John 11. 
He was raised to life again to be the firstborn of the dead, giving us the resurrection life that we need in order to live forever in the perfect plan of God. So that by the grace of God, Jesus might taste death for everyone. Oh church, did you hear that? Jesus lays down His life on the cross as a perfect sacrifice in our place, shedding His blood to pay the penalty for our sins. And it's all done by the grace of God for His own glory and the good of His people. Even what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. What an amazing thought. What an amazing plan. Jesus' death was an act of divine grace. With Jesus tasting death in the place of His people whom He loved so much that He was given as a gift for them according to the eternal plan of the omnipotent God. It should stagger us. This Jesus is our God. This Jesus is our brother. This Jesus calls us friends. And it's in His image that we've been made. This Jesus is better than angels. This Jesus is full of grace and truth. And He loved us to the point of death. And He will love us for all eternity as we, restored to the full, pure, glorious image of God, as we reign and rule with Him because of the perfect work that He has completed for us to the praise of His glorious grace. Hallelujah. What a Savior. So we turn our attention to application. Three points. They almost rhyme, but they're not alliterated. I gave you two of them earlier. Plan, man, and the last one is amen. 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 Plan, man, amen. Sorry, it's the best I can do. Bet you'll remember it though. Plan, man, amen. First application point is plan. Let me ask you this and, and, and evaluate yourself and not, 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 oh, I'm a jerk, I'm an idiot, I'm so stupid. Not that kind of evaluation. Might be true. But... Do you know God's plan, which was laid out in creation? And then revealed perfectly through the rest of the scriptures. Because here's, here's, here's the deal with God's plan. God has revealed to us counsels from eternity past. He has revealed to us what He has done in history. He has even revealed to us what He is going to do. We know everything we need about the plan of God. Everything we need to know. Do you know it? Because it's there for us to see it, 
to know it, to believe it, and to conform to it. And what a plan it is. We don't have time. Of course, we spent a lot of time with John Piper in this passage, but I just want to read this. Oh, man. Oh, I do have it. I didn't think I had it. Oh, hey, man. There we go. I do have it. Um, I'm just going to read this real quick, 13 verses. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power to me, though I am the very least of all the saints this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Man, when you put that in the context of what we've looked at today, that's pretty incredible. Paul writes of the glorious plan of God and the majestic mysteries that have been revealed, and he does it from where? Prison! some things up better than that. The writer of Hebrews writes of the unmatchable greatness of Jesus to this Jewish audience that in just that is just three centuries um, let me back up. I skipped a line. Let me try to re-dramatize that. The writer of Hebrews writes of the unsearchable greatness of Jesus to this Jewish audience that is just starting to face a persecution that will intensify and multiply over the course of the next two or three centuries. And he calls them to see the glory in it all. The glory in what? In their place in God's plan and Jesus' fulfilling of that plan guaranteeing them their proper place in it. God's plan is consistently present and future glory in the midst of trials and suffering until there is no more suffering. So Hebrews, you're starting to suffer Look at Jesus and know that His glorious plan is accomplished and will be accomplished. So we all live in an already but not yet state until all things come to completion. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. So the plan of God reminds us that we can be assured that God has done what He's already done and we can know that He will do what He said He will do. 
So our place in the plan of God, which will be the next application point in just a second, is man is as sure as creation. It's as sure as the crucifixion of Jesus. It's as sure as the resurrection of Jesus. Because God has never had a plan that failed. But what happens is our feelings start to get the best of us when things don't seem to be going the way we think they should go. Right? It shouldn't be this way. And you're not wrong. Sin has marred creation. The fall was a horrible thing. But here's the thing and that I want to reiterate over and over again. It was not outside the scope of God's plan. It was in the eternal plan from eternity past and God will be glorified for it through eternity future. So whatever you're going through right now, you're not out of God's plan. Now, can you be disobedient and sin and alienate yourself from the closeness and presence and beauty of God? Yeah, you can. But if you're in Him, you can't out-sin His grace and you're not going to get outside of His plan and He's going to bring you back. And you're going to persevere because of who He is and what He's done. And no demon of hell, no elected official, no despot who's raised himself up over other men can thwart the plan of God. No cancer cell, no flat tire, no bad hair day can thwart the plan of God. Rest assured in the sureness of the plan of God, people of God. Plan. Man. Do you know man's special place in God's creation? As a man. Male and female. David the psalmist and the writer of Hebrews both marvel at God's plan which includes giving human beings dominion. That means ruling authority. And in God's plan he calls on man to reign and rule with him for all eternity. We have been made, all of us, saved and unsaved, in the image of God. When God's given the law, He says, if a man sheds a man's blood, his blood will be shed. Why? Because man was made in the image of God. Man holds a special place in the plan of God. Our sin has marred that image. But listen, what did Jesus do? He took our sins away. And one day sin will be done away with completely. So that puts man, listen, at the very center of the plan of God. Early church father Irenaeus says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. God wanted to show His glory. God wanted to share His kingdom because of grace and because He loved us. So He created man. God wanted to show who He was and what He was like, so He became a man. When one of you has a grievance against another, Paul says to the Corinthians, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? 
And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? Man is. A little while lower, but we're going to judge angels. The glory of God projected through us, through His image being born forth through our lives, is going to condemn demons to everlasting hell. How much more than matters pertaining to this life? We mentioned Daniel earlier. We're almost done. And how Michael was called a prince of Daniel's people. We'll look at Daniel 7, 21-22. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Watch this. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Whoa, Luke 12, 32, the words of Jesus. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Man's special place in the plan of God. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Oh, church, treasure your role as a man created in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. And praise God for the role we play in His plan. Plan, man, amen. You can spell it any way you want to. I don't care. It's about Jesus. Do you know what Jesus has accomplished to bring God's plan for man to fulfillment? And I think the best way we could ask that question is to go back to the text and say, do you see Him? But we see Him. In the midst of God's unfolding plan, in the midst of man imperfectly imaging forth God in the here and now, do you see Him? Jesus became a man to show the process that will bring man to final glory. Jesus, the second and better Adam, did what the first Adam failed to do. And that was all in the plan of God. So that Jesus would receive all the glory. If Adam and Eve had kept the law perfectly, they would deserve some glory. But they didn't. But Jesus did. To which we say, Amen. You want to read a book that gives you a picture of Jesus? Read Revelation, which is technically the revelation of Jesus Christ. Please don't call it Revelations. Or say Walmarts or the Internets or the Facebooks. I'm just going to read some things from Revelation real quick and then we'll be done. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Look at that, Jesus. Do you see Him? 
Revelation 22, if you go through and just pick out the red letters, which the other day I fussed about, but do it. It's pretty cool. I'm just going to read the red letters out of Revelation 22. And behold, Jesus says, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Verses 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. Verses 20 and 21, He who testifies to these things says, Surely, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Do you see Him? Look away from yourself, from your striving, from your struggling, from your flailing and your falling. And look to Him. The writer of Hebrews will get to that later when he says, looking to Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. But I'm going to finish it with this one verse. For all the promises of God find their yes, their amen in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. I will ask you one last time. Do you see Him? Let's pray. Father, even when we don't see it, feel it, know it, your plan is perfect. You have given to us the privileged place in all of your creation as man. We bear your image. May we do it well to the praise of your glorious grace and may we do it as we look to him and see him, Jesus, whom you have given the name above every name. And God, if there be anybody within the sound of my voice that does not see Him, that does not know Him, show them Him. Show them the need for forgiveness for their sins. Their sins that are an affront to the holiness of this God that we worship. And show them the sufficiency of the death of Him who died on a cross to pay the penalty for their sins. And may they put their faith in that finished work that they might call on Jesus as Savior as Redeemer. And may they know that their sins are taken away because He shed His blood to remove them. And may you get the glory for it all. Father, we would see Jesus. Help us, we ask, in His name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? It's got to be this one. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to Him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but stay and eat with us if you can.